What's up, champs? Welcome to the Keeping Carlson Short Shifts of Fantasy Hockey podcast. I am your host for this evening. My name is Ben Burnett. Joining me, we have a very special guest host back from the annals of the uh, preseason. We had him on discussing uh, the zero goalie draft strategy, and we are back to talk a little bit of goalie and a little bit of uh, player news, uh, streaks, injuries, that sort of thing. Uh, welcome back to the show, Nate Groot Niblink from the Apples and Genos podcast. Nate, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, I was happy to come back on. I think uh, some of those takes have aged better than others, but it'll be fun to go back and see what we were thinking at the beginning of the season about some of these goalies and where we're at now. Well, let's let's jump right into it then, Nate, because, you know, this is the podcast. We had a lot of time last time, but uh, this this time you're on and we uh, we're into the season. We got no no time for uh, no time to joke around. We got to get right into it. What are uh and yeah, like you said, I, I love to talk about sort of the targets you had preseason and to sort of check in on on the folks who you were recommending. Yeah, so there were a few that we talked about. Um, we talked about Eric Comrie. We talked about Philip Grubauer. And we talked about uh, Carol Vimelka. And we talked about the L.A. tandem. And um, obviously, anyone listening probably already knows in their mind how those situations have gone. Um but I do think it's kind of interesting that uh, in each of those situations, you at least have a goalie that has emerged and uh, kind of been somewhat relevant. In Seattle, you have Martin Jones, who had a big stretch of play, and now it seems like he and Grubauer are kind of trading the net back and forth, and neither of them are doing too well at that currently. In Buffalo, you've actually seen the team take a big step, and that's led to at least some wins, if not uh, terrific goals against average uh, for their goalies. In L.A., it seems like no one's been able to take the reins, but L.A. as a team is outscoring their competition a fair bit, and so there's definitely opportunity there. It just seems that no one who's there has been able to grab onto it. But then you have uh, Vimelka, who is arguably in the worst situation of all those people, and he's actually been been pretty good. Uh, I was just looking today, he's seventh in Kakupful points on the season uh, among all goaltenders. So he's definitely uh, been a surprise. Like I didn't expect him to do even that well, but uh, it's been nice to see at least one of those uh, <laughs> paid off this far into the season. Not only that, but I, I thought we had talked about Vitek Vanacek as well. Am I am I misremembering that we were we were on Vitek? Yeah, we did talk about him. I drafted him in, in my Kakuffle draft, so we did touch, touch on uh, Vanacek a little bit too. And yeah, I'm still holding on to Vanacek. He's been a good one as well. Yeah, and so I guess we're far enough out of draft season now where uh, the zero goalie strategy isn't really a thing. That That's much more of an approach to your drafts. But obviously there are a lot of folks right now who could use some help, some assistance uh, in figuring out goaltending for the rest of this year, uh, or at least for the, the holiday season. Any recommendations for folks who are goalie poor uh, this time of year? Yeah, I think you just got to stay fluid with it. Um, like we've seen guys like Daniel Vladar or Vladash or however you're supposed to say that uh, come out of the woodwork and provide a good streak of relevance here. Um, I, I really just 
kind of preach to people to kind of stay fluid and not get too married to any one goaltender um, in their minds. Like it's very tempting, especially when you get a breakout goalie in the early part of the season to think, okay, now I'm set and I never have to think about this again. And then you get into January, February, and suddenly that same goalie has run off a streak of, you know, five, six, 10 games where they've actually been giving you um, minuses essentially uh, versus what you could have replaced them with. So uh, I really just preach, uh, don't get too comfortable. Uh, you know, Kochikov has been a revelation. Uh, he's been someone that's been a huge boost to some of my teams as someone who's obviously looking for these kind of plays out there. Um, yeah, Vladar, another one. But there's like there's constantly at least shots you can take, right? Like Spencer Martin cropping up with Demko going down to injury. You've got Stuart Skinner taking over for Jack Campbell. Um, that's kind of the whole theory, right? Is that there's going to be chances to take there. There's going to be um, these goaltenders getting thrust into great situations. And you just have to stay patient and stay rolling with uh, those situations and find the players that are going to perform. And it's funny, Nate, like you were running through the players that we we talked about earlier this year, the goalies. And um, I was just like, ah, it's not a not a hit list, I would say. Like, I don't feel like we um, like we landed on. I don't we definitely didn't go five for five or anything. Uh, right. But what I will say is that, you know, all of the guys you just mentioned are on teams that I have because that's the thing, right? Like you're going to miss when you go zero G, but you're also you have roster flexibility and you can be in on the next guy who does emerge. Exactly. And yeah, just to, um, you know, kind of play the other side of it. So maybe you did go heavy goaltender early. And you know, what have you really gotten out of Markstrom, Demko, Campbell, Anderson, Bobrovsky, like there's a lot of guys that you could have spent some decent draft capital on. Um, in the top 10 of couple points uh, on the season so far, you've got guys like Vimalka, you've got guys like Vili Husso, uh, Georgiev is up there, Logan Thompson is up there, Linus Allmark, who wasn't even the first goalie drafted off his team, is up there. Like, um, If you're just going by the points uh, at this point in the season anyway, you would have been a lot better off to uh, stay fluid, find these guys, and then uh, kind of just figure it out and piece it together from there. All right, Nate, we got to get into the news and notes from this week in around the NHL, I should say. And we're going to we're going to hop right over to that Ville Husso led Detroit team and talk about Dylan Larkin first, who left the Wings game Tuesday night after being hit in the hand by a puck. Uh, after the game, the Wings said Larkin would miss Wednesday night's game against the Wild. And it was reported yesterday that he's waiting on a specialist to see him for a further prognosis. Uh, the concern with a hand injury certainly is a broken hand, and, and that we've seen be, you know, a three to six week injury in the past. Uh, the Wings are also without short shifts 2023 MVP Philip Hironik at the moment, uh, who left last night's game after taking a headshot from Ryan Reeves. Hironik did go cold recently. He has no points in his last four games, but is still pacing for 68 points on the year and was still getting top power play looks over Mo Sider, who... I mean, if we want to say that Heronic is cold, I guess Cider is frostbitten. Just one point in his last eight uh, and 12 points in 29 games on the year, pacing for just 34 points a year after winning that Calder Trophy last year. Nate, any optimism about Cider returning to form now that, in theory, if, if Heronic misses any time, he should get a chance back up on that top unit? Yeah, unfortunately, this hasn't been a season that's gone to plan for Cider um, by any stretch. Uh, I looked at the the stats just now before uh, we started rolling, and he's actually getting more power play time this year than he did last year on a per-game basis. 
Um, a lot of this stuff kind of looks in line, but he individually is not shooting as much, and um, he's not generating as much in terms of the on-ice numbers that you'd like to see. Um, and then one more point against him, I guess, is that his on-ice shooting percentage has decreased almost 3%. Um, so basically the team isn't uh, as effective at scoring this year as they were last year, which is kind of surprising given uh, the talent that Detroit's added uh, this offseason. So um, that might be a little bit of bad luck on on his part there, and that might regress a little bit uh, in a positive way for him. But it's really concerning to me that uh, he's kind of taken this step backward in the individual level and he's not directing as many pucks toward the net and it just seems like uh, for whatever reason he's taken a, a step back at an individual level and so for that reason I've really kind of adjusted my expectation even if he did get back on the top power play for the rest of the season um, I think that Cider is not maybe who we thought he was or at least is not taking the second step that many had projected for him this year yes many say Mo Cider I say less Cider <laughs> uh, moving over to Ottawa, we got to talk about Timothy Jimmy Stutzla uh, following up an item that Lewis discussed with Cousin Dave on Tuesday's short shifts. Uh, the Sens announced today Jimmy would be out at least a week with a bruise slash a contusion. Uh, you can pick your word of choice there. The good news is it does look like Stutzla avoided the major injury that the Sens were originally concerned about. Uh, with Stutzla out of the picture, Giroux has taken over on power play one. He has two power play assists in the two games since the injury. And at even strength, the Sens are now running Brassard with Giroux and Brady Kachuk and a second line of Debrinket, Batherson, and Shane Pinto. Uh, Nate, any interest in Brassard or Pinto, the two kind of streamer level guys who are probably available in most leagues while Stutzla is out? Yeah, I do have interest in, in both, actually. Uh, Broussard has been kind of surprising. If you look uh, under the hood, you know, the shots per 60, the individual scoring chances for per 60, those are numbers that I like to look at because when you do get these bumps up in ice time, then you like to think about how that projects to... Um, the additional ice time, how many more shots they're going to get per game and that kind of thing. And Broussard's been surprisingly uh, uh, pretty good this year. Uh, basically in line, actually, if you if you compare Pinto and Broussard, their individual statistics are, are quite comparable on an advanced level. Obviously, Pinto had a, a big goal-scoring run earlier this year, and his uh, counting stats may look a little more impressive, but... Um, uh, on the whole, I kind of view them fairly similarly right now, except for the fact that Pinto has that untapped upside, right? Um, you kind of feel like there's some sort of uh, age-related ceiling with Broussard, like he's not going to just suddenly morph into a 23-year-old star at this point, whereas you at least have the the thrill of the unknown with Pinto, uh, where there could be a, a ceiling here that we just haven't seen yet. And moving to Vegas next, the Golden Knights announced that Shea Theodore would be out week to week with a leg injury. Uh, with Alex Petrangelo still missing, uh, tending to some family matters, the Knights have been rolling with power play quarterback Daniil Miramanov, who looked very good on Tuesday night, uh, putting up three points, a goal and two power play assists and three shots against the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, it had seemed that Miramanov is in line to hold that deployment, obviously, at least in the short term, given how good he was on Tuesday. I guess the question as far as how long he return or maintains that spot depends on when Petrangelo returns to the lineup. Uh, Nate, Miramanov is probably available in most leagues still at this point. Just one point in his first 16 games of his NHL career prior to Tuesday night's breakout performance. you have any interest in uh, chasing Miramanov? 
I think there's a little bit of interest for the time being, for sure. Um, it It's definitely got an expiration date on it in my mind. Um, not really much more than a stream at this point. Um, definitely the way they're, they're paying Petrangelo and Theodore, whenever they're healthy, those are going to be options number one and number two there. But in the interim, you know, the underlying stats look all right. He's directing shots on net. He's directing chances on net. I'm interested for the time being. All right, and we have a couple of quick hits to go through. I'll, I'll bang through them real quick. Starting in Winnipeg, where Nikolai Ehlers returned to the ice for the first time in weeks on Wednesday. Unfortunately, Jets coach Rick Bonas said he remains several weeks away from returning to game action. Uh, next in Pittsburgh, where Jeff Petrie hit long-term injured reserve today, out at least a month uh, following an injury earlier this week. Uh, this does open up some power play time for Pierre Olivier Joseph on power play two. If you're in a very deep league or maybe in a dynasty league where a player like Joseph, who has not played too many games in his NHL career, might still be worth a, a little extra, um, likely has more of an impact on folks counting on Petrie's peripherals. Uh, the Pens are also without Jason Zucker for the next while after they announced on Wednesday he's out week to week. And Danton Heinen has taken over on line two alongside Evgeny Malkin and Brian Rust. And uh, next we go to Minnesota, where Ryan Hartman is announced to maybe be in the mix to play again tomorrow night, Friday night. Uh, The Wild think he could return this weekend, which is pretty cool if you're in a tight matchup and have Ryan Hartman on your uh, on your IR plus. Uh, The Wild have two off night games this weekend. That very, very nice Friday, Sunday schedule. Uh, If you drafted Hartman, you know he started the year cold as ice, just four points through nine games before the injury, following that breakout 65-point season last year on the top line with Kaprizov and Zuccarello. Uh, He was starting, the Wild were starting to flirt with putting him down into the middle six. Uh, So far, or lately, I should say, Sam Steele has been filling in on that top line with Kaprizov and Zuc. He's been fine, but... It kind of feels like Hartman might just waltz back up to the top line, given nobody's really grabbed it in his absence. Uh, do you think that managers should target Hartman in anticipation of of maybe being on that top line? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a little bit dependent on your structure and how deep your league is, but definitely I think there's every opportunity uh, for him to get there. I don't think Sam Steele is a guy that you uh, hang your hat on and say, we found our number one center for the rest of the season. Hartman has obviously had that success in that role before. So I think there's definitely a good chance. I feel like it's probably a little bit unlikely that he jumps right in there from the first game back. Um, They probably will ease him in with a little bit of... um, you know, middle six minutes, I'll say, um, for the time being. But definitely, I do think that Hartman gets another shot up there at some point. And definitely, anytime you're playing alongside Kaprizov, that's somebody that I want to be attached to. So, And uh, going to Philadelphia, our final injury outry headline tonight. Tony D'Angelo remains away from the Flyers, dealing with a family matter. Still no timeline on his return to the lineup. In the interim, Cam York has been the team's number one power play quarterback for the past few games, has played three games since joining the team, and started with no points and no real peripherals in the first two games, but had a decent night on Tuesday with a goal on one shot and four hits, has also played over 20 minutes the past two games, looks to have moved up from the third pair up to the second pair in those last two games. Seems like a decent streamer option for now. Any uh, any love for Cam York, Nate? I'm... Pretty ambivalent about Cam York, to be honest. I know he was a fairly highly touted prospect at one point. Uh, You look ahead to next week, even if D'Angelo remains out, uh, Philadelphia Philadelphia doesn't have any off games next week. It's not a truly enticing schedule. Um, 
yes, the minutes are there, but it, also it's Philadelphia, so there's not a huge offensive ceiling that you're looking at here. And York himself, uh, in terms of the individual numbers, is not really doing a whole lot that excites me. Only one shot across his three games here so far. So um, overall, I'm pretty ambivalent about York. Uh, there's probably better options out there in my mind. All right, we're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, there's a young defenseman in Toronto we have to talk about and a very hot Boston Bruin. You're listening to Short Shifts. Welcome back to Short Shifts. We've got Nate from Apples and Geno's podcast joining us tonight. And Nate, we're jumping right into the streak section of the show with a player from your favorite team, Rasmus Sandin, from those dang old Toronto Maple Leafs. So hot right now. Uh, Sandine has finally turned it on for the Leafs, who have been waiting for signs of life from their recent high draft pick. Uh, four assists in his last two games, two on the power play, where Sandine is still filling in for Morgan Riley. Uh, Sandine has also been shooting and hitting enough to make those zero-point games look okay if you're in categories leagues or if you get points for, for peripherals. Uh, wondering if you're into Sandine or, or what your feeling is on a moving forward, given we heard just today Morgan Riley is still not skating. Yeah, in the interim, I think Sandin is a really good option. Um, it was kind of surprising to me that he wasn't immediately rostered, you know, in a lot more leagues. Uh, he's still kind of languishing far below where I think he should be. Uh, in in this time, when he's on that top power play, like you see the way Toronto's running, you everyone knows the kind of talent that's on that top power play unit. Um, and Sandin is consistently pulling 20-plus minutes a night, so it's not like he's a uh, one-trick pony like uh, Kalen Addison or someone like that has been to this point. He's definitely seeing um, full deployment um, and full exposure, therefore, to that Toronto lineup. And yeah, the shots have been there recently, and that's been really nice development for Sandin. Previously, they hadn't really uh, been there, but now in his last five games here, he's gone four shots, two shots, two shots, then zero shots with two assists. Um, and then three shots again in his latest game against the Ducks. And so, yeah, I, I'm really interested in Sandine at this point. As you mentioned, the peripherals are there even when the points aren't currently, and so that makes him all the more rosterable. Uh, you don't feel that heartburn on the nights where he doesn't get a point, but more often than not in this deployment, I think he is going to give you a point. I think uh, kind of somewhere around a 50-point pace is reasonable to expect from Sandine while he's in this role, and especially now that he's started to settle in and the Leafs as a team are kind of feeling it. Going over to Chicago next, where Seth Jones has been very miserable since we last talked about him uh, when he returned from injury in late November. Just three points in his last nine games. That brings him to seven points in 17 games this year. That's just a 34-point pace for a guy who is being paid like a much more prolific defenseman. Uh, even worse, the Hawks were practicing in a five-man power play look today. So not even a fun defenseman to chase following this demotion. You know, like uh, Caleb Jones was somebody who uh, who looked pretty good while his brother Seth was out with that injury earlier this year. Uh, so Seth Jones, not the most popular power play one player heading into the year, but I didn't think he'd fall off quite this badly. Uh, any chance you see Jones as a potential buy low or, or what's your feeling on him right now? Honestly, it's pretty hard to stomach with Jones right now. I did think at the beginning of the season that he was going to be a value in drafts, um, but now you see him, even the ice time has fallen off somewhat. Last year, he averaged 26 minutes and 12 seconds. This year, 24 minutes, 31 seconds. So he's taken a bit of a hit there. 
the individual numbers look okay, pretty much in line with his career numbers, but the on-ice numbers are just so bad. Like, Jones has been known to play on some bad teams from his time with Columbus, but this team uh, definitely takes the cake, and he's just hemorrhaging chances against currently. It's truly awful, uh, the, the numbers that he's putting up on the defensive side of things, and so it's really hard to get excited uh, about the offensive potential. Even if he is on that power play one, I think you've really got to mute some expectations expectations um, for Jones moving forward. Yeah, Seth Jones is going to be one of those guys who I, I think is going to have the most confusing stat profiles possible as a, you know, when, once he retires or when when folks look back just because he got paid so much money, but the stats do not yet back up what he can do. He clearly has some of the like high end skill. It's just that he has not yet shown, you know, through shot metrics, through his production, that he's worth $9 million a year. And every single person in like, or rather, it's a lot of people in hockey media that talk about him like a top 10 defenseman. Uh, I don't think his underlings have ever backed that up. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see what goes on the rest of the year. But hopefully, Hopefully the Blackhawks are able to turn it around a bit quicker and uh, and get some get some value for that contract. We'll hop over to Detroit next. Talk about a former Chicago Blackhawk, and that is Dominique Kubalik, the very cold Kubalik, uh, formerly a streamer of the year. Kubalik has now gone cold with zero points in his last four and just four points in his last eleven games. I'd expected regression from Kubalik, but this is definitely worse than I expected. Uh, as I said earlier this year, it could be a return to Kubalik's 60 to 65 point form that we saw in his first two years in Chicago. He's maintaining the the shot rate at this point through the whole season that he had in those those earlier years. Uh, still on pace for 71 points this year, but those shot rates have started to fall in recent games. And even though he remains on power play one, it's kind of weak over there without Dylan Larkin for the next little bit. So I guess I'm wondering, he doesn't seem like a real buy low opportunity for me. I think the question with Kubalik is whether you're hanging on to him at this point. Yeah, it's getting tougher and tougher. Only three shots in those last four games. Uh, only three individual scoring chances for in those last three games. So it's not like the shots are hiding something that's uh, there under the surface either. It really has been uh, tough going for them. They have played some good teams through that stretch. Florida, Dallas, Carolina. Uh, teams that can suppress your chances for. Um, so take that for what it is. I kind of feel like Kubalik has just kind of now leveled out. If I take a look at uh, his season-long statistics over the 29 games that he's played, kind of the rate stats are starting to fall in line a little bit more with his career numbers. I do think that he's found some new life uh, overall in Detroit and kind of um, climbed his way back from last season, which was a true dumpster fire of a season for him. Um, But he's still kind of on the high side of some of those percentages. If you look at his individual points percentage, he's on the high side there. If you look at the on-ice shooting percentage, a little bit on the high side there, but now we're kind of starting to see him level out. Definitely he's cold right now, and that gives me a lot of concern. Um, yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be tough to hang on to him here for the next little bit, especially with Larkin out um, driving some of that offense in Detroit. Um yeah, depends on the league, obviously, but I am I am worried about Kubalik, at least for the immediate future. Uh, and if there are better options out there, I am looking. 
All right, and finally, we will hop right on over to Beantown, where Jake DeBrusque has gone red hot once again. Six points in his last four, now up to a 70-point pace, 23 points in 27 games on the year for JDB. Uh, continuing to shoot as well, still up over that three shot per game threshold. That's a really nice benchmark for fantasy forwards. I feel like if a guy is shooting three shots a game, um, there's a very, very good chance, very high likelihood that he is worth holding on to. Uh, even better, DeBrusque's underlyings remain pretty solid, and he's getting good deployment. Uh, as David Krejci returns to the lineup tonight, the Bruins have also flipped Jake DeBrusque back onto line one, taking over for David Pasternak again as he returns to play with Krejci on line two, and Taylor Hall is bumped down to line three. So we're talking about a line one power play one forward on the Boston Bruins are we ready to consider Jacob DeBrusque as the real deal? I am personally. Yeah, he's always had solid, if you know, not completely spectacular underlying numbers and numbers that I liked. This year, it really seems like he's taken a step, and I I feel like you can attribute that to the players that he's been able to play with, getting that higher up deployment in the lineup. The on ice numbers look miles better than before. You can attribute that to, you know, playing with Bergeron and things like that. Um, His individual numbers are much higher and he's getting that power play deployment, uh, which has contributed to an extra couple minutes a night for him. And so all those things kind of working together really give me the confidence that uh, DeBrusque can kind of sustain at this level, maybe even a little bit more. Like you're talking about a guy with a 56% IPP. That's below the league average for forwards. I think there's a, there's a chance that there's even a tiny bit more in the tank for DeBrusque. And so I'm pretty bullish on DeBrusque for the rest of the season at this point. The one thing I'll push back on there is that I do feel like DeBrusque is decidedly the third person who uh, the third of three forwards that Boston wants touching the puck. So it doesn't really strike me as as wild to see him a little below on that IPP. Um, sure. But I, I, I take your point. I mean, you could even look at the secondary assist rate like there are. There are certainly markers where you you could see him edging up a little bit higher. I, I think 70 points is where I would expect. But yeah, I mean, if he goes hot for the rest of the year uh, and those those rate stats spike, you could see him. God, could we see point per game Jake DeBrusque? Obviously, I wouldn't bet on it, but it's like you wouldn't like you wouldn't be shocked at this point. Yeah, at this point, I don't think you would be. It's definitely a ceiling. I think there's probably mm-hmm. a pretty hard ceiling for him around there, unless, yeah. you know, his deployment went absolutely through the roof up to like 20 minutes a game or something like that. But yeah, I don't think that's crazy. And that's definitely not where we thought we'd be with DeBrusque <laughs> at this point. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a really nice pickup for folks. Uh, Nate, you have nailed it. You crushed all the questions I asked uh, of you this evening. Thank you so much for joining us and filling in for Lewis. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and let folks know where they can find your work? Yeah, so as you mentioned, I do the Apples and Genos Fantasy Hockey Podcast. You can catch us over there wherever you're listening to this. Uh, If you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me there as well, at Apples Genos. Perfect. Thank you so much, Nate, and thank you all for listening. Uh, For myself, Ben Burnett, thanks for joining. Lewis will be back to help me out with this very clunky outro that I'm recording right now next week. Uh, In the meantime, be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at ShortShiftsKK. Follow Brian and Elon at Keeping Carlson and Cousin Dave of the Stream Scheme at NHL Stream Scheme. I'd recommend you follow the Game Day News suite of 
Twitter episodes, episodes, no, Ep- uh, Twitter accounts even. Uh, you can follow them all at gamedaytweets.com or you can follow them on Twitter at gamedaylines, at gamedaygoalies, and at gamedaynewsnhl. Visit that site and the other great sites we use to research our episodes at Yahoo, Frozen Tools, and Natural Stat Trick. Our intro and outro music was created by Pat Roach, and John Reed is our digital media producer. Until we see you next time, play smart and keep your shifts short. Short.